when I was 22, I think I just plopped in bed. No more. Also, getting ready for sermons. Although today, sometimes I can just take my Bible and start, but not tonight. Habakkuk, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. And I do, it's not true. I do not say that about every fifth week. I say that rarely. Like maybe every seventh week. But um, really, this is. It's, it's a famous chapter. It's a beautiful chapter. Man, you don't want don't to miss just chewing and meditating upon this chapter in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3. If you um, were not here this morning, the announcements are in the bulletin. You can grab a bulletin on your way out if you haven't received one. But let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word, every every bit of it, Lord, and what a book this is, Lord, that we're in and we'll be completing this evening, Lord, this man who went from being a whiner, which all of us, or most of us know a lot of about, to a worshiper, Lord, that's, that's what we want to be, the people we want to become, Lord, and I pray that you would guide us, just guide us through this chapter. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Habakkuk. Once again, if we can just see this timeline. This guy's got me all set up. Sean's got me all set up. So this is the northern kings, the southern kings. At the time of Solomon, there was a civil war. Broke up into the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And Habakkuk is towards the end. He was a contemporary, right there, you can stay there, up a little, yeah, right there, that's perfect. He was um, a a contemporary of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, prophesying at the same time, lived in the south, and uh, probably was not in active ministry at the time right here, Zedekiah, the last king um, of, of Israel before Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar came in and wiped, uh, wiped out Jerusalem and temple and, and basically uh, the, the kingdom of Israel, at least the geographical kingdom of Israel ended and was abolished. But uh, he prophesied with these guys, Jeremiah... Zephaniah, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel. Can you imagine all five of those guys ministering at the same time? That's amazing. You talk about talk about an all-star game. Uh, that was it. It wasn't a game either. It was serious business. But uh, that's where we were. Habakkuk, he was apparently a, not only a prophet but a priest. We believe that because of the very end of the... Uh, book in verse 19 chapter 3 it says to the chief musician with my stringed instruments this is the 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 levite the priestly class were in charge of the music you can call albert father albert uh, from now on he's a priest no they abolished that when jesus died on the cross the um, priesthood was abolished now there's a priesthood of believers we're all priests 
But at the time, the Levite class, the priestly class, was in charge of, of the music. There were uh, uh, Ezekiel was also uh, a priest. And so uh, he begins the book. We were in it a couple of weeks ago uh, with uh, a complaint against the Lord. So unique, this book. It is not a book, it's not a prophecy that was given really to people. It was not directed. It was not like Ezekiel who set up shop on the side of a street. And Ezekiel, 365 days or longer, was on one of his sides, you know, prophesying to the people. And the Lord says, okay, now change to the other side. But it wasn't like that. Uh, uh, Amos... Jonah, Hosea, some of the others uh, would go into an area and prophesy to the people. No, this is just a conversation between him and the Lord, the first two chapters. And he had a similar complaint, you could say, for human beings since the fall. It was a timeless complaint. If you're God, why is all of this going on? Why all this suffering? How can that be, the suffering that's all around us, be consistent with your character? And then God told him, well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And Habakkuk more or less goes, oh, no, really, really, I, I, I will believe you. Tell me. And God tells him uh, that... Not only do I hear, I am preparing um, my answer, and my answer is going to be the Babylonians are going to come in and just wipe out Israel. And Habakkuk was like, you got to be kidding me. Well, that, that make, that's even more confusing than the state of affairs we're in right now. The Babylonians, they're evil, more evil than we are. How can you use a people more evil than the people around us to judge us and and uh, this wonderful verse in chapter 2 verse 1 where he begins to break it's a wonderful thing in the life of a believer when in, in, when you see him begin to break because that's what God wants to do with all of us he says sacrifice and offering you do not desire what you want is a broken and contrite spirit and when You know, just in the discipling, some of you who are disciplers, it's exciting when you begin to see someone begin to break of their pride. Well, he begins to break. And at the, and at the, in verse one of chapter two, he says, well, you know, I'm going to stand my watch and set myself on the rampart. Watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I'm corrected. In other words, he's, He's beginning to understand, you know, I need correction in my life. That's a humble thing. When you hear a man or woman say that, who is a Christian, man, is the Lord going to start working in a wonderful way in their life? Where they actually acknowledge, I'm not sure what kind of correction I need, but I need it. And, 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 that's, and that's what... He, um, that's what he says at the beginning of chapter 2. And God goes on to tell him, look, the Babylonians, I'm going to judge them too. But more importantly, 
He says in verse 4 to Habakkuk, he says, The just shall live by faith. And Habakkuk receives that. Now, we, Paul quotes it in Romans and develops his whole, uh, whole theology around it. Quotes it in Galatians, book of Hebrews. It's also quoted, the just shall live by faith. But the wonderful thing about Habakkuk, you know, Jonah is a book where he doesn't end well. Jonah doesn't end well. Jonah doesn't start well, and he doesn't end well. He, he, he starts as a whiner and also as a runner, and he ends as a whiner. You guys don't want to do that. You know, it's entirely possible that some of you in this room, you're going to end your race. The Bible says we're in a race. Being a whiner, you don't want that. You want to end as a worshiper. And that's what Habakkuk does. You know why? Because he received what the Lord told him in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The just shall live by faith. He starts to live by faith. He receives that in his heart. And as a result, he becomes a worshiper. And this is just one of the most beautiful chapters of the whole Bible. It's a song, chapter 3. He is worshiping. You see in this chapter the word Selah. It's the only book outside of Psalms where it's used because Psalms are what? Songs. So is Habakkuk chapter 3. It's a song. It's used three times in this chapter. And as some of you may know, the word Selah probably means pause. If you do a study in it, it, it it's more than a pause. It's, it's, it's sort of, uh, you know, pause, think about that. But then there's also in the Hebrew, if you do a word study, it's, it's, there's the concept of, of, of lifting up your, your, your heart or your voice in a particular way. I learned from my son, Sam, a Bible teacher, Sam Cole, that, that rabbis used to, uh, to teach using these selahs. In other words, they used to, to, to speak and then they used to pause and they used to pause for quite a long time. I use pauses too, by the way. You probably notice that on Sunday mornings more than Sunday nights. But it is so valuable to, to, to do that. And you, you see him worshiping, and by the, the Selahs, he, he's even wanting to draw people in. And that's what we want to do with our lives, right? We don't want to just worship to feed our own self, our own spirits. We want to draw others into our worship. Wow, what a different ending than Jonah. So chapter 3 begins It says a prayer of Habakkuk the the, the prophet on Shigunath Shiguaneth. Now, Shiguaneth, uh, the 
the, the Hebrew translation there is, from what I understand, it, 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 it means um, to, to, to cry out. It's like a, a crying out prayer to the Lord. Now, interestingly enough, it says to the chief, uh, the verse 19 at the end says to the chief musician uh, with my uh, stringed instruments, uh, that word means, it's a word similar to, uh, uh, to, to smitings. So, um, uh, it, so it, it, it sort of has sort of a, a crying out and, you know, the, 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 the concept of stringed instruments that's smiting them, sort of a, um, a crying out uh, type of thing that is, that is going on here uh, in, this, in this chapter. And in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigeneth, on Shigeneth, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. And O Lord, I have I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember mercy. So he knows the wrath's coming. He knows the Babylonians, Habakkuk, uh, actually the Lord says in verse 1 of chapter 1, it's a burden, it's a vision. He has seen it. They're going to be coming. They're going to be wiping out Jerusalem. And here he's, he's singing. He's, he's also he's praying. He says, in your wrath, remember mercies. Um, we're having a, a retreat of the elders at the end of this week, and you can pray for us, but we're going through a book by Charles Finney. It's called Lectures on Revivals of Religion. And there's something like 30 chapters on it, and, and Charles Finney was... Uh, I'm not sure exactly how to describe him. He was a revivalist. He, In the 1830s and 40s, there was a series of revivals across the United States. He was right at basically the middle of all of them. He would travel around. And, uh, man, you read this book. He doesn't mess around to this guy, Finney. And... This is how the whole book begins with this one verse. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In wrath, remember mercy. And uh, a theme throughout his book is is revival begins with a recognition by people that they are under the wrath of God. They deserve the wrath of God. There's a recognition of that, but they cry out, for mercy, and and this is the prayer, the the prayer of Habakkuk. Now, God would remember mercy in the midst of His wrath, right? He would hear. We know that from the story. He would be merciful uh, to Israel. He would preserve a remnant. He would still do very much a work with the people who would go into exile and eventually return. But here he is, he's turned from a whiner to a worshiper, but he begins his worship actually with a prayer. And prayer, remember, is a form of worship. Don't forget that. And he, he's praying, he's standing in the gap 
for the people of Israel. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years in wrath. Remember mercy. And then in verse 3, he says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He, has ra- he had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. Now, I have a map of Israel up here. Can we get this map of Israel up? So in verse 3, it says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. That's sort of the, Isra- the, the, the area from Edom to Egypt, and it is there there are a number of places in the bible including here in habakkuk where there's just a description of the lord coming from egypt through edom and and uh of course he, the the israelites came up here after their time in the wilderness and then they uh, they went into the promised land right here and Throughout Scripture, there are a number of uh, pictures of the Lord uh, when He, you know, when He led Israel during this time. For example, in Psalm sixty-eight, the song of Deborah was one of them. The Book of Judges, Psalm of. Uh, 68, another one. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself, Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. And it just goes on, verse 11. The Lord gave the uh, word, great was the company of those who proclaimed it. Kings of armies flee, they flee, and she who remains at home divides the spoil. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them in Sinai, in the holy place. You have ascended on high, you have led captivity captive, and you have received gifts from men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might uh, dwell there. And there's, there's, uh, that's one of the pictures uh, in the Old Testament of God coming from that area right there between Egypt and Edom and 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 the the visual pictures given in the Bible. And this is another one in Habakkuk where Habakkuk is, um, he's given this vision, this song, this worship, and he is recounting the Lord coming from Egypt, except here there is also the sense that this is something that's going to happen in the future as well. Remember, Habakkuk has these striking prophetic verses as well. In chapter 2, verse 14, Habakkuk just declares, for the earth will, will, future tense, be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And here in verse 3 of chapter 3, some of the translators uh, insist that many of the translations are wrong putting this in the past and they instead translate for example the end of verse 3 his glory shall cover the heavens and the earth shall be full of his praise and so as you go through this chapter it appears to be another one of those examples where a prophet is is speaking um, not only of 
something that happened in the past where the Lord came from Egypt into the promised land with, with great power and, and, and wonder, but also the near-term future where uh, the, you know, the Lord was going to defeat Babylon, but also it's a picture of the, of the, of the second coming of Jesus and the defeat of the Antichrist. And certainly that rings true at the end of verse 3 where it's, his glory covers the heavens, the earth shall be full of his praise. His brightness, verse 4, it will be like the light, his rays flashing from his hand. Remember in the Hebrew, as well as the Greek, it's very difficult uh, for a translator to be able to tell if it's talking about the past, the present, or the future, the way the verb tenses are. They're different than in English. Verse 6, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His, his ways are everlasting. So here you have Habakkuk, who was a whiner. He was a complainer. All of a sudden, he is filled with the, just the deep sense of that God is powerful and he is in control. I saw the tents of cushion and the affliction, the curtains of land of the Midian trembled and, 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 and that land was, was up here, the land of Midian. So again, there's this, the, he's recounting something that happened in the past, but also there's the sense that this is going to uh, happen in the future as well. Lord, verse 8, you, disp- you were displeased with the rivers. Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Verse 9, your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. You, did div- you divided the earth with rivers. The, the, the mountains saw you and trembled. The, the overflowing of the waters passed by. The deep uttered its voice the, and lifted its hands on high. So is verse 9, when it says you divide the earth with rivers, is, is that a reference to Jesus on his return where he comes down in the Mount of Olives and there's an earthquake and the land splits? I don't know. But certainly the imagery here is, is simil- similar to some of the things that Jesus himself recounts at his coming. Verse 11, the sun and the moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went. At the shining of your glittering spear, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth for the salvation of your uh, your people for salvation with your anointed. The word anointed, the title anointed, a reference to the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. You struck the head from the house of the wicked. Is that a reference in verse 13 to Jesus defeating the Antichrist by laying bare from foundation to neck? You thrust through with you thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. They, their rejoicing was like the feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses through the heap of great waters. So he's, he's a worshiper now. And he's worshiping the Lord. 
And he, there's a recognition that the, the judgments of God are altogether righteous, just as the angels cry out in the book of Revelation. Uh, Habakkuk is declaring the same thing. And then he says in verse 16, When I heard, my body trembled. So at the beginning of Habakkuk, he, he, he refers to a vision. Here, he's hearing from the Lord. When, my, when I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. Ooh, wow. The description there. Again, Charles Finney would love this because this is what over and over in his lectures he stresses that what happens when when the spirit of God is poured out on his uh, on the people at a time where the where the land is is filled with wickedness and the wrath is over the land the people will cry out wow we Rottenness has entered our very bones. I don't know if you've ever been in that place yourself. It actually is a wonderful place where the Spirit of God has come upon you with with such power that you recognize, wow, there's rottenness in me down to my very bones. Very healthy place. And I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. Now there's the translator's argue amongst themselves, which they shouldn't, but sometimes they do, as to how to translate that particular verse. Some say, nevertheless, I rest in the day of trouble. I prefer this translation, which is that I might rest in the day of trouble, because until a a person really has a deep sense of the fear of God in their life, and they, they, they tremble at the the fierceness of the wrath that they deserve. They're not going to be able to have a peace and a rest in their life. And and that's what I believe is is going on here, is that um, this is another experience similar to Isaiah in chapter 6 where Isaiah sees the Lord and and woe is me because I... I'm a man of unclean lips who dwells among stay, uh, an unclean people. Uh, there's that sense of a great sense of fear, but it's not until that happens that Isaiah is able to be used by the Lord. That he can go on and prophesy these great messages that of the peace that is available to those who are in Christ. When I heard, my body trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled at work in my. I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. I don't know what's going to happen 
if we were talking this morning about a persecution in, in Rome at, after the fire in Rome in AD 64, 65 and blamed on the Christians and and you read some of these stories of the early Christians and then the courage they, they went to their death with. That, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anything similar to that will ever happen, but I, I, I do get quite concerned at, at churches f- where week after week after week people receive a sermon that is inspirational but not solidly biblical and I am convinced that churches that are filling themselves up that are teaching nothing but inspirational sermons at the time of persecution they are just going to empty out so fast (laughs) but the churches that are teaching sermons that are thoroughly biblical there is going to be this great sense of the fear of God and there will be arrest for the people in the day of trouble. He says, that I might rest in the day of trouble. It's kind of odd. It's kind of a paradox, right? In order to have a rest in the day of trouble, you have to have a, sense of, a healthy sense of the fear of God, of the justice of God, of the, the fact that his judgments are... Are, are altogether righteous. But the Bible does teach that this is true. And then there's a um, shift in verse 17 in which the rest that he describes in the day of trouble it really is brought to light for us and oh is this a rest where he says here in verse 17 though the fig tree may not blossom the fig tree is a symbol of prosperity in Israel the days of Solomon says everyone had their fig tree every man lived under their fig tree it was just like this great time of prosperity the time of Solomon and Habakkuk here says though the fig tree may not blossom and though there are no fruit there's no fruit on the vines. Another symbol of prosperity throughout the Old Testament, vineyards. Though the labor of the olive may fail, yet another symbol of prosperity, olive and olive oil, the oil flowing in the land, And the fields yield no food. It's a time of famine. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold. 
and there be no herds in the stalls. In other words, there is a legitimate question before everyone's eyes and in their minds. Can we, will we even survive until tomorrow? I mean, this isn't looming disaster. This is disaster. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. And you know, all this, this wonderful place that he's at here, where he's able to worship not in the midst of looming disaster, in the midst of full-fledged disaster, present tense. You can connect right back to chapter 2, verse 1, where he's in this dialogue with the Lord. And it's chapter 1, it's the dialogue that's very healthy. This is not fair. I do not see any evidence right now that you're a fair God, a loving God, a faithful God. I see no evidence of that. Why is this going on? And it's a great, just like all the Psalms are, it's a great instruction manual, Habakkuk chapter 1 is, for... have a rich prayer life that God wants all of us to have. God answers him. And he says, well, okay, verse 1, chapter 2, I'm just going to, I think I'm in need for correcting here. So I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to wait on the Lord. And I'm going to, and what he wants to say to me and, and, and how I will answer when I'm corrected. And he waits there. And again, the Lord tells him, Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. That's how the just shall live. And yeah, right now, you don't see any evidence of my faithfulness. But you don't know everything that's going on. You do not know everything that I'm doing. You do not know the agenda. You don't have the view of the whole world like I do. You don't have all the, 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 the millennia a view of it, of the past and of the future in front of you. I have to, things are the way they are right now because they have to be. Habakkuk, the just have to live by faith. And here's a guy who, who because he has been broken before the Lord, the Bible says God will oppose the proud, he will exalt the humble. He's humbled himself and he actually embraces that truth and, and the Lord, he's walking by faith here. And, and he's essentially saying, though there is no evidence of your love, Lord, I'm going to walk by faith. I started out depressed. What I perceived was unfair. What I perceived as, you know, no evidence that you're a loving God. I, I spoke rashly. 
I was wrong. I confess I was wrong. I'm now just broken before you. Verse 16. There's rottenness entered into my bones. There's been a real, real repentance here. And, and Lord, I'm going to live by faith. Because I believe your word. I, I believe the history book of the Bible that, yes, you did come from Teman. You came, you came as the Holy One out of Mount Paran. Your glory covered the heaven and the whole earth was full of your praise. You marched and you led your people right into the promised land just like you said you would. You told Abraham, 450 years, I'm going to take you down to Egypt. You're going to be there for 450 years. And you're not going to return to the Palestine until then because the, the sin of, the, of the, the Amorites has not reached its fullness. And Lord, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. And now, as for me, I'm going to live by faith. Don't you want to be a worshiper like that? Is there anybody in here who doesn't want to be a worshiper like it's described in the back of chapter 3? Where the fig tree is not blossoming, there's no fruit on the vines, the olive fields are failing, there's no food, no, flo- uh, no flock on the, in the fold, no herd in the stalls. And, and, and guess what? That's what we deserve. That's what America deserves right now. And if it happened, if we reach this point in the country, oh, that we would be worshipers like Habakkuk. Lord, (laughs) this country, it deserved exactly what it has now. But guess what? Because I am a child of God, because I've seen your faithfulness throughout the word of God, in the book of Hosea, in chapter 2, it says, it's, you said, I'm yours. You, 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 you say in Hosea, Lord, that, that I'm married to you. I'm betrothed to you. Betrothed in faithfulness and justice and mercy and tender kindness and in faithfulness. I'm going to believe that I am, your, your word says the just are going to live by faith. I'm going to live by faith and I'm going to worship you. By faith. In Psalm 37, it's a wonderful psalm. I just gave a, a lesson on this a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> it says, Do not fret because of evildoers, but rather trust in the Lord. But then he goes on, David does, and he says, but also delight in the Lord. But don't stop there. Commit your way to the Lord. And don't stop even there. Rest in the Lord. And finally says, you wait for the Lord. The wonderful thing about Habakkuk, he embraces in his heart the word that he received from the Lord, which was the just shall live by faith. He trusts in the Lord, but he doesn't stop there. There is such a person who is trusting in the Lord, but they're not delighting themselves in the Lord. David doesn't stop with trust in the Lord. He goes on and says, and delight yourself in the Lord. 
And that's what the, what the, the, this is this wonderful picture here of Habakkuk. He's an example of this. He's trusted in him. I'm going to live by faith. And now he is delighting in the Lord. But he, it says, yet, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. First Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, rejoice at all times. Wow. Even when there's no fruit on the vines, there's no, the olive trees have failed, the fields yield no food. Well, uh, yep, that's what it says right here. I re- Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will join the God of my salvation. But then in verse 19, he doesn't even start, he doesn't stop at the worship. He goes on, as David says in Psalm 37, to committing his way to the Lord. This, so the Lord is my strength. He's going to make my feet like the feet of the deer. In other words, he's going to continue walking with the Lord. He will make me walk on my high hills. His way is going to be committed. Not only does he trust, not only does he, does he delight. And some people stop at the worshiping. But no, you're not, not supposed to be stopping at the worship. You're supposed to be going on from there and committing your way to the Lord. And I put this verse up this morning on the projection tree that says, commit your way to the Lord he, and he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And that's what we have here. This wonderful lesson from Habakkuk, which is a dialogue in between a single man and the Lord, his God. He starts as a whiner. He ends as a complainer. Not as a complainer, as a worshiper. Whiner to worshiper. And a worshiper that commits his way to the Lord. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like the deer's feet. He will make me walk on my high hills. So I just want to close this evening in prayer as we do on Sunday nights. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to divide up. Uh, actually, if you need to leave now, the usher Eddie in the back has a, a parking toker. But we're going to divide up into just little groups of four and five. And we're going to use this chapter, this teaching tonight, uh, as a springboard for prayer, as a springboard for worship. And the worship, someone from the worship team is going to get up and join me. So why don't you just uh, break up into groups now and I will return just in a few minutes and I will lead us in, in prayer as we close out uh, the, the evening service here.